Hi, and welcome to I Hear Design, uh, the INS podcast. This is Katie Yale, the Editor-in-Chief of Interiors and Sources, and today we are uh, with Johnny Rush, the Chief Business Innovation Officer at McBride Company. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Hello, everyone. So one of the things that I thought would be really fun um, is that the McBride Company does a lot of, like, you do a lot of locations that are experiences, not just spaces. And I really thought it'd be fun with Halloween coming up and everything to kind of talk about how people put themselves in that other space and what you need to look at when you're creating new spaces and and um, just really bringing in this uh, this experience rather than just location. Okay, could you just speak a little bit about... Um what the McBride company does and uh, some of the experiences that you have. Sure. Uh, the McBride company uh, has been around about 30 years. It was founded by a gentleman named Pat McBride and the company is based in Manchester center, Vermont. In this, uh, this beautiful town, uh, very quaint and, and very historic. The, the, the firm has a, always been in the business of not just designing but creating experiences and you know that term's used uh, overused nowadays uh, mm. experience ever what's the experience and uh, I just finished speaking at a conference last week here in Orlando uh, called SAIT and SAIT stands for story architecture technology and experience and what does that mean looking, you know, forward a year and, and 10 years from now? So, you know, part of that is is kind of defining uh, what is it that people define as an experience nowadays. And most of that is due to this, this influx of technology into our lives to the point now where, you know, we're dependent on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, what that's created is this phenomenon known as mobile moments where every single moment that someone is not doing something and they're usually on their device, either uh, uh, keeping up with, with friends or browsing news or playing a game, but that, that filling that void, they consider to be an experience. It's just a micro experience that they chop up during different pieces of the day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you're faced with that, what, what McBride has done and, and continues to do is is kind of combine that trend with really storytelling through environmental design. And a great piece of that, a great story uh, that the firm has been involved with from the start is the Margaritaville Empire. Mm-hmm. So, so back when Margaritaville was a song by Jimmy Buffett, McBride that and created with the Margaritaville executives this idea of a physical experience. What does that song look like if you try and translate it into an environment? And it produced, you know, a palette of colors and this experiential um, design palette that now has expanded into casinos and resorts and theme parks and, you know, just this huge company based on 
on really a storytelling around a state of mind. So when you ask me about, uh, you know, how do you create an experience? It's really creating something that speaks to the heart, not just story for the sake of story. And that's really difficult to do when you're designing because uh, things have a tendency to be way over design or have no meaning behind the design. And that meaning is key to to keeping it fresh and, and making it dear to people. Great. And um, what is the first experience design that you and, and that kind of environment that you remember, um, you know, really participating in? And does it uh, in any way kind of affect your work or kind of push you in that direction? Oh, I, I think it does. Uh, for 17 years, I was an executive at the Walt Disney Company. Oh, yeah. <laughs> a, a long piece of that was vice president of Imagineering for uh, global development. So, you know, there, there's just so many examples of, of taking an idea, which is what Imagineering does. They take an idea and they strive for something that is painted on almost every wall of every building. It's, it's called suspension of disbelief. It's creating an environment and a story that's so immersive and, and so compelling. It's so realistic that you're transported into a different place, even if it's for just a 45-second experience. And doing that over and over and over in, in theme parks and resorts around the world is, is, is something that I'm so proud of, of what uh, my teams did. Towards the uh, late 90s, I was also responsible for all of the merchandise product development for the company. And what was really fun was taking these experiences and creating product that was a, a tangible memory of that experience, something that was absolutely a must-have. And we transformed that from a souvenir-based business to a really a lifestyle and a trend-driven business which is uh, what most consumers want nowadays. Mm -hmm. um, that's so great. I, I think I grew up in, uh, in Southern California. And so, you know, a couple times a year, we, we went to Disney. And I can still remember very clearly specific aspects of being at Disney. And I'm talking about, you know, like, when I'm like four years old, and I'm remembering my sister getting scared exactly. of something or... <laughs> Um, I remember so I was so jealous because she was um, when I think I was about eight. So she was about seven. Um, she was scared of the haunted mansion. So she got to go through the back and yeah. um, <laughs> like she was terrified from the first 60 seconds. And so they allowed her and my mom to go out through the back. And, and a very nice attendant was like, hey, don't worry. You know, like, let, let me show you a couple of things so you aren't so scared. I don't think she's ever been back on that ride. And she's, you know, 32 now or something. And um, <laughs> but I was so jealous that she got to see, you know, all these inner workings. But at the same time, I definitely remember going through for the first time and just being absolutely terrified and, and having so much fun on it. Well, you know, that's um, such a that's such a common story, too, because everyone uh, wants a sneak peek of, of behind the scenes you know, mm -hmm. here, in, here in Orlando. Everyone wants to, to go inside uh, the tunnel 
which is underground and connects all the, <laughs> the attractions. But, you know, nobody really wants to see any of that because it's, uh, it's part of making the magic happen and you're not mm-hmm. supposed to see it. It's not, a, you know, a, a room filled with robots that are operating something. It's, it's, a, a, it's an experience. Mm-hmm. And how did you, what was the route that you took to get into this profession? Uh, architecture. So uh, I went to Louisiana State University and uh, I'm an architect and an interior designer. Uh, I had started in in commercial retail and, and entertainment design with the Marriott Corporation in the late 80s and really just stayed on that same course. Uh, again, like the past, uh, not the past two years I've been with McBride. Uh, prior to that, I was creative uh, executive for HSN and then Disney before that. So those those 17 years were the boom years of, of growth and uh, all of the, the basics of design and interior design and uh, experiential design apply to uh, anything that's being done uh, with a theme park is just magnified because it's in such condensed space. And when you're, you're looking at trying to get into, you know, to create a mind, uh, an ex- experience and also to create a space, but you know, you really have to get into like the user's head in a way that, is a little bit beyond what, what interior design typically has to do. And how do you do that? How do you get into that, that mental place to be able to know what needs to be done to make this experience great for uh, the user? Well, I think it depends on the end application. Uh, when you think of what uh, we do at Big Broad, uh, when you think of resort design or hospitality design, um, entertainment design. A lot of our clients right now are are, are requesting uh, very similar projects, which are which are experiential locations that are immersive and somewhat captive. And of course, that's the secret formula for an amusement park uh, or a theme park is is to get a guest through the gate, uh, which is called a gate click, and then once they're in there. You know, they have to drink, they have to eat. Typically, they're going to buy merchandise. It's what Disney calls within the berm, which is mm-hmm. the, the earthen wall that surrounds each of the theme parks. Uh, but for any retailer or, or uh, hospitality proprietor, it's the same thing. There has to be a, a reason now. One of the things I spoke or said about last week was the difference and the evolution of what was typically known as a brand to consumers to something that's called uh, a more of a stand. So the what and the idea of customers and sales and, and quarterly reports for companies, big companies, old companies, is, is falling by the wayside. And they're moving more towards the idea of a, you know a stand. What what is the belief of that company? Do their ethics match mine? Do I believe in their product? Am I proud to be associated with that? And in the past, that could be overcome with uh, uh, 
financial incentives, with loss leaders, with reasons to shop. But the consumer is not putting up with that anymore in any industry, mm-hmm. including hospitality and entertainment. In fact, you just saw yesterday Sears and, you know, finally announced they were filing for bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just been a long time coming because that type of of experience is a dinosaur now. And do you feel like like there is more concern now with the overall experience? Like if you compare the amount of of locations and the amount of companies that are looking at experience versus not really being concerned about it. Do you think that there has been an increase? An increase in, um, in, in the awareness of what that experience is. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. And um, whether that's something that you are finding more people are kind of coming to you and saying like, Oh yeah, we want an experience also, not just I want to create this space, but uh, let's think about you know more of the issues around how to create that experience for somebody. I think that's somewhat true. I mean, there's I don't know of any way to create an environment without creating some type of story or ultimately some experience, even if it's minimalistic. If you take the Apple Store, for example, it, it looks simple. It looks it looks inexpensive when it's actually exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. There was a huge effort that went into that design to get that minimalistic experience. And you remember it. Everyone knows what an Apple Store looks like. Yeah. Uh, because they, they've succeeded in, in creating that persona that is representative of their brand and of their products. So, yes, I mean, every client wants an experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's based on uh, how strong is the story, or what what budget uh, do they have to, to create it. Uh, obviously, the, the more experiential in terms of scale or complexity, the, the more it's going to cost. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, they, they need to make a profit from their investment. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that we pride ourselves on at McBride. We don't just think of ourselves as, as fantastic designers. Uh, we're also business people. And, and we haven't either invested or started up uh, projects with some of our own clients because we're interested in not only a successful design, but also a profitable business venture. And every proprietor, every every entrepreneur or, or, or company wants that now. They have to make a profit. Sometimes that's at the expense of of what you consider design to be mm-hmm. or, or the value of a design. But, um, it, you know, it depends on the the, uh, the consumer. A good example is uh, years ago when when Disney was really only uh, marketing their their uh, luxury hotels, the Grand Floridian, Polynesian, and the Contemporary. A lot of people couldn't afford to stay there if they were coming to spend money in a theme park. So this whole 
uh, industry grew up around Orlando of, of inexpensive hotels or extended stay hotels mm-hmm. that you'd have to drive to the theme park, but the cost difference made it worth it. So what Disney did was started to take their property and, and build uh, similar concepts, extended stay, lower cost hotels, what were called value hotels, but still had a theme and still had a story, just economically done. But the big advantage was if you stayed at those hotels, then you were able to take the bus system to all the locations on the property. You didn't have to rent a car or, or bring your car. So uh, I think there's a strategy. All, all big uh, uh, hospitality uh, companies are doing that right now with different scale experiences and, and hotels. For, for different clientele. So you think of even with Marriott or, or Margaritaville, you know, the idea of if your luxury resort, what, what are called Z-class hotels, these are top of the line, the ones you remember, beautifully done, very expensive. And then you have different stages. You have business hotels and extended stay hotels. You have all of these different concepts that cater to a whole range of consumers, but what they have to do is make sure that their brand identity, their stand, their beliefs, their their operational standards are consistent from property to property and from experience to experience. I think that's probably the biggest challenge right now is, is maintaining that, making it consistent. Um, so recently I was staying at a hotel that really wanted to make sure that their their guests realized all of the thought that went into creating that experience down to an interview with their scent designer, which um, I kind of knew a little bit about the ways in which scent is used uh, in interiors, but it was really interesting to see this interview with, with their designer. Um, Would there be anything surprising for listeners about, the five senses and the way that you have to like kind of approach the five senses when, when creating a space. Excuse me. Yes, absolutely. The idea of using, you know, the senses has, uh, you know, been around since mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you think of Disney, uh, we have to do, crazy things. I remember a, a ride in the animal kingdom that we built called Dinosaur. And there were very large, what were called scent cannons, which blew the smell of something into your face at, at key moments. So kind of puff this smell into your face. But the smells that we had to source were uh, rotting meat, oh. um, uh, 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 bad breath, uh, all of these very, very strange kind of kind of dinosaur smells, uh, and it made the ride so much more powerful because you may not be aware of it. Your your eyes may be overwhelmed with a huge animatronic dinosaur, but you you do react really negatively when you realize that his breath smells like, you know, rotting meat. That's, that's uh, 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 an extreme example. 
but uh, you know uh, examples that are that are very relevant uh, say the Bellagio in in Las Vegas mm-hmm. is known for fresh cut flowers those beautiful vases of, of flowers all through the lobby and through the hotel but when you walk in you're overwhelmed with this floral fresh cut flower smell which everyone assumes is from those vases, but there's no way that that could produce that much aroma. So they pump in the smell of fresh flowers into these spaces so that you're constantly aware that, that they're about uh, the beauty of these, these fresh cut stems. A lot of creative ways to use um, scent and, and touch uh, tactile touch in experiences that, that I think are very clever. Mm. You know, that's something that we're seeing so much in, in interior design, especially is that that tactile element. And it's something that people keep bringing up. And, you know, one of the thoughts is that since we're always around these flat screens and we're using so many touch screens now that, you know, our, our bodies kind of want that tactile element. Um, what is, what are some of the ways that you're seeing touch being used in interiors um and what is the most extreme example that you've you've ever seen or done well it's a really interesting question because there's a difference between tactile stimulation and and this uh now routine we're in of i touch something that causes something to happen, mm. usually a touch screen or cause and effect. I had a, a fella tell me the other day at, at this conference that he was uh, a little disappointed in his youngest son, who I think is three, but there was a, a, a bus stop with a, a framed uh, poster on the side, an advertisement. Mm. And the little boy ran up to it and started swiping it. <laughs> kept swiping it kept swiping wanted it to change and he said oh my god that is that's how these you know children are going to grow up now is everything's going to be that way so you know that's that's kind of one thing that we just have to live with because that's going to evolve but the idea of 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 tactile stimulation in in design uh it it is really interesting because the the touch and the feel even though we're not necessarily conscious of it is something that our brains are very much aware of when you think of an extreme example of that uh, i remember when we were designing um, the margaritaville resorts and and you think of margaritaville and you think of song and jimmy buffett but then you think about water and glass and and the feel of a Margaritaville glass that has that frost on it. What does that look like when it's reflected in an ocean wave? All, all of those are, are very tactile things. So all of the resorts and restaurants and, and hotels that we design have all of that tactile feel. You walk into Sisal or something that feels like sand, but then that's complemented by smooth surface like ocean polished glass or or uh, the, the feel and the, the texture of a shell that's very very carefully done i think it's a very important for a designer one of their jobs is 
you know, is not just to design for color, but for feel and for touch. Um, kind of going back to Margaritaville. Um, so I uh, did a report when I was in grad school on the fact that, um, interestingly, the uh, luxury brands were, you know, seeing lower and lower sales, but um, Tiffany engagement rings were still, they were actually increasing sales. And, and when I looked into it, it was a lot of about the experience and the fact that the movie Breakfast at Tiffany's really kind of uh, gave this experiment or this, this uh, experience in people's brains of like, well, if I'm going to get engaged and we can't afford everyday you know, luxury on a regular basis, I want to, to participate for this event. Um, and I think this especially goes into Margaritaville, but, um, how do you see like media playing a role in, um, what the expectations are of an experience and people's acceptance of going into a, a space that really can kind of, you know, change their change from what is, you know, the usual or, or reality? Well, I think part of the answer of that comes from the, the continued growth and importance that people place on, on social media. So a lot of experience now is driven by uh, not necessarily the experience, but being able to capture that and and share that somehow, either for bragging rights or shock value or for uh, just memories, some type of memories that's celebrated by a circle of friends. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of the industry now is being driven by uh, catering to that. Mm -hmm. And that's typically a, a, a millennial uh, consumer, mm -hmm. but, you know, trying to take the idea of, of, putting a value on that experience or catering to something that that is much more harder to grasp mm -hmm. because now stories don't seem to be uh, things that are special. They're things that are, are you experience every day, mm -hmm. usually on your, your mobile device somehow. Uh, so a lot of that, I think, is, is, is driven by uh, social media and, and marketing. But a big piece of that, I think, is also uh, kind of this evolution of, of experience. Uh, the world used to be a, a much smaller place. And, and now, uh, you know, the almost worldwide access of, of the entire globe. You know, you've seen these rise of, of Airbnbs and, and alternatives to travel. Because that experience is not based on a, a, a theme park or a fake experience. That's based on going somewhere that, that has a story that you can experience the culture in a way that's not necessarily commercialized uh, and, and probably more memorable and, and economical. What is your favorite experience that you have been part of creating? Wow, that is that is a tough question. There's just so many. Um, 
you know, I'll, I'll tell you one that we're we're really uh, enjoying right now, and and that is uh, a new industry. So McBride uh, right now is is known as one of the the, the nation's leading designers of, of cannabis dispensaries. Mm-hmm. And it kind of grew out of a project that we did almost four years ago in Los Angeles called Pineapple Express. <laughs> it was really the, the it was really the first well designed retail cannabis dispensary that we just layered with with goodies when you think about experience. Mm. So not only was there a brand and a name that you can't forget, but you walked into the space and the centerpiece is the mystic pineapple. So it's this giant pineapple that you put your hand on and ask it a question and it glows and then it gives you advice on a strain for the day. Um, that's one experience. There's a Viewmaster wall with all these vintage Viewmasters, but each one has a disc in it that tells you a certain aspect about uh, a, a cannabis type or a product or an edible. So it's it's kind of a little retro nod. And then the whole design is kind of this Hawaiian retro luxe feel. Uh, what happened was uh, that got so much press that we decided, all right, let's let's kind of go after this business because no one owns it right now. We spoke at a lot of trade shows and talked about the importance of brand and design and the industry and how that applies to a growing industry. Uh, and then we started to build clientele. But now we're just designing all of these really fun uh, dispensaries for an industry that is relatively new that you know not everyone understands not legal in every state but uh, the ones that do it right are going to be the ones that that uh, kind of rise to the top in terms of uh, leading the industry when when it's deregulated i think uh, you know nationally which is pretty much inevitable and when you're creating some of these uh spaces are there ideas that you have and you're just like, I have like, how are we going to put this together? How are we going to make this work? Um, you know, especially the, uh, um, what are they called? The, the viewfinder, the, they're like the, the, the view masters. Kids one, right. Where you put like the red ones that you put your eyes on and you yeah, click, well, click it I over think to the next image. Uh, the biggest ideas, or at least the process, and, and you know, a lot of people define the creative process in a different way. Uh, but we have a, a, a tried and true method by using a team we call Alpha Thing, and it's a, a part of our company that really just charged with with brainstorming and, and creative ideas. Uh, they don't have to necessarily be feasible, um, but they need to be unique. And and when we put that task to that team on uh, this industry. We got all kind of crazy ideas, but a lot of them we've actually uh, now built. Uh, so, you know, that creative process is, is many, uh, so many people struggle with that or, or, or try and define it. it needs to be something that's relatively organic. So when it comes to a, a new project or, or something that's, are going to be uh, 
kind of a new business or, or needs a revamp or maybe is uh, needs some form of innovation. I think those type of ideas are, are kind of birthed out of what's the need? What's, what's the question? What are we trying to solve for and how can we make it better? And so just to kind of, of wrap up, um, first thing, I heard that you have a, a tiki lounge in your house. I do. I have a, I have a, a full-fledged tiki bar here in uh, my home that is comprised of, of the tiki, antique tiki mugs I've collected from all around the world over, over 30 years. And, uh, oh, different props and paintings, and, and there's a, a whole programmed light show. So when you order one specific drink uh, or a, a volcano in the ceiling erupts and <laughs> lights start to, to fire lights, it's just crazy. But it's, it's so much fun. It's the best place to have a party. Do people know that if they get this one specific drink, or is it, like, just some... Oh, no, they know because there's a menu and it says on the menu what happens when you order that. So uh, there's another drink called, I think, a mosquito mojito. And the sound of buzzing insects fills the room. And then this fog and mist comes out of the ceiling and all these little strobes start going off. It's, it's it's an experience. <laughs> so working working for Disney, you, you you kind of figure you set the bar pretty high on on designing those things. I feel like uh, I would have the opposite where I'm like I don't want I don't even want any kind of like I don't want an, an Alexa in my home. I don't want to Google like I don't want anything to happen once I'm in my place. But um, <laughs> that sounds like it's it's just a blast. Um, actually, there's a so I, I live in Cedar Rapids, Iowa now, and there's a historic home that I think was owned by the the Quaker Oats founder or something along those lines. But the last owner is this beautiful like mansion, and it's a historic place now, and you can walk through, and everything's like very Greco-Roman. And then you get to the basement, and they had a tiki bar that was set up in like the 30s or 40s down there and it's just like <laughs> what is going on the old trader Vicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that was that's like when it was when it's really swinging and popular was you know that that whole tiki explosion in the in the 50s late 40s and 50s. <laughs> and what what uh why did you decide to go with that in in your home well, yeah, I, I live in a, a very strange home. In fact, when I when I was looking for a home, I, I told the realtor uh, I either wanted a, an old uh, church that I convert to a residence or a, a fire station. And, and she looked. She really looked all over the place. And she said, look, the best I could do, I found a, a haunted house for it. <laughs> so this is a, a, a craftsman bungalow that was built on the shore of Lake Minnehaha here in central Florida. And it was built uh, a little over a hundred years ago, but it was built on an abandoned cemetery. Um, So there, there has been stories about this house uh, for, for generations about the ghosts on, on, on uh, the abandoned cemetery. And, you know, I didn't quite, 
believe it. Uh, but when I was building a new garage and they were digging the footings, they kept digging up hinges and nails and uh, old casket oh, pieces. Like this really was an old cemetery. Have you seen the ghost? So, yeah, most people are. Most people are <laughs> interested. You know, I've not, not, not. I haven't seen a ghost, but I have seen things that um, that are hard to explain, like coffee cups that I've seen move themselves. Um, my youngest daughter uh, seemed to think that she could hear a, a little girl laughing in the house. Uh, so I've kind of taken full advantage of that. I've gotten mounted insects and, and uh, taxidermy. It looks like the Adams family house. Let's put it that way. So I say, well, let's celebrate it. Now, then are you, are you going to do anything for Halloween then? Or do you just kind of let the, the house do it for itself? That the house is always in Halloween mode. <laughs> It's it's never not Halloween here. Are is it the house that like kids are like scared to like? Do you get a lot of kids running up, pressing the doorbell and then running away? And <laughs> you know we used to. It's an older neighborhood, so there's not a lot of kids, mm-hmm. and, and it gets really dark. So we don't see very many trick or treaters, but uh, my my daughters love it. Ah, oh, that's so awesome. And I'm I'm assuming that any uh, potential ghosts probably also like the tiki room. Yeah, I like to think that I make them happy. Yeah. <laughs> so if there are any ghosts, I think they're just loving it. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. This was great. Um, and is there anything else that maybe I didn't touch upon that you think our, our listeners should know? N- nothing but have a great Halloween. <laughs> All right, great. Well, Thank you so much again for joining us. And to all of our listeners, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And until next time.